I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's poppin', everybody? Happy Friday, as usual. It's your boy, Adam Taylor, joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. Before we get into this, I've been leaving this for the end of the show, but I want to start doing it more at the beginning of the show. It's the call to action. This is where I call for action from you. Usually we're like, hey, leave a review, leave a rating. I'm past all of that. I've been podcasting long enough to know that if you're going to leave a rating, you're going to do it whether I ask you to or not. So what I'm asking instead is for a little bit of help. Uh, I'm very big lately. I'm super hyper-focused on word of mouth. I'm very big on if I tweet out a podcast or I tweet out a video that I've done or an article or whatever it may be, it just looks like, hey, you were meant to be tweeting this out. You put the time to create it. If anyone's going to promote it, it needs to be you. Most people don't care. If you were to tweet out this article or post it on Facebook, post it on Reddit, post it in Instagram, you know, with a link or something, it just looks far more genuine. It means you enjoyed the show. You think you like what we're doing over here. And that word of mouth is obviously the quickest way to grow something. I want to be able to do as many of these podcasts as possible. Will does too. Greg does too. So if you can spend just like, you know, five minutes of your time kind of promoting this show alongside us, that's going to do wonders for us being able to land bigger guests, being able to do more of these shows. I just wanted to get that out of the way early because usually, you know, if I wait till the end of the podcast and ask, I don't know how many of you are making it through to the end. If you're at the beginning, hopefully all of you are still here right now. (laughs) Will, my guy, now I've got out the, uh, the obligatory, we need your help. Yeah, man. Look uh, at look, look at look at how the world has changed. Word of mouth has become word of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Right? It, it, it is. No, you're, you're, you're totally right. But as you were going through it, I was like, word of mouth and actually word of Twitter or Instagram, either one, like those are actually way more powerful typically. And actually, they, they, they reach a lot more, you know, like we say. Yeah. Talk to your barber. Talk to your barista. Talk to, you know, your bartender, whoever it might be. But... You do it one time on Twitter, the whole world gets a chance to see how cool you are because you listen to Celtics Pod with Will, Adam, and Greg. I posted a reel on Twitter of me and Greg the other day. Not Twitter, on Instagram. Twitter doesn't yeah. have reels. Instagram does. Not yet. They probably will at some point because they all tend, tend to copy each other. So the last one I put out was of me and Greg, and it went for 66,000 views. Let's go. I'm like... Yo, when you're talking about one to many, that was one post. It went to 66,000 people. Again, though, me putting out that post, I'm meant to put out a reel of the mm-hmm. show. Like, that's my, like, it's my duty as one of the hosts of the show. So people kind of see it. They're like, yeah, cool. Now, if somebody else had done that and it went for that many views, the, the level of, like, under, like, the amount of people that would have clicked through to the episode would have been vastly different because yeah. it's like, hey, this person enjoyed it so much, they went and promoted it themselves. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to start leading off shows with this for a while just because um, I think that's the, the way we take the next step is the people that enjoy the show support the show enough to help share it. And that's how you take the, the leap into the next level of podcasting where we can start doing, you know, maybe I fly out to Boston and we do a live show somewhere at a bar right. or you, we go down to JJ Ready Crew of selling $5 tickets in an auditorium and 12 people turn up. But we maybe, we get a, maybe we get a special guest appearance. Who yeah, knows, I mean, you but know? you know, to, to take, to do that, we need to take that next step. So maybe this is how we do it. So I am genuinely requesting help off everybody listening. Yeah. We've got a fun show, though. I will came up with this. All credit to Will. What we're going to do is Will's going to tell you that's what we're going to do. 
Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, since we've last spoken, unbelievable win against the Jazz. Celtics just continue to just beat down teams, Adam. Like, at this point, the amount of teams that the Celtics have put a beating on to the point where they've beaten them by double digits and they're a playoff team, it's it's insane. So, right now, looking at the Eastern Conference, you have four teams within a game and a half of the first place Miami Heat. Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, all within a game and a half of each other. How that's going to play out, Nobody knows. There's, what, roughly 10 games left, so it's really hard to figure out how that's going to fall, but it looks like those are going to be the, your four teams that get home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. That seems fair, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, these these four home court advantage, I'm kind of, I'm looking, the reason I'm kind of biting my lip at the same time is because I'm looking and I'm like, man, there's so many teams that could finish fourth. Um yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. You think, think. You, think you, you think there's? See, I feel like I feel like at this point we've we've hit that crater where there's three and a half games, roughly ten games left between the Celtics, Celtics, Philly, and Milwaukee are the teams not in first right now between them and Chicago. So for this premise, anyways, let's say that Chicago is not going to get up to that to that fourth seat. So that leaves us with Chicago's in fifth, Cleveland's in sixth. You have Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta in the play-in game. And what I want to do is is I want to power rank who we would like the Celtics to play. Now, we have no idea how everything's going to break with where the seedings are, but this is going to be from number one, who we want the Celtics to play, to down to the bottom, who is the least likely that we want the Celtics to play. Now, the first thing I think we should figure out, Adam, do we think, as it currently stands, now the Hornets are only a game back of that 8 seed with Brooklyn, but do you think Charlotte or Atlanta can get out of the play-in and snag that 8 seed? maybe maybe i'm not sure you know so charlotte i think you see the thing with charlotte and atlanta is they're both very similar teams they're both Mm -hmm. run and gun high octane offenses with terrible defenses um when i look at the hawks i'm like you can put up points in bunches it's similar to how the utah jazz play it's just that the utah jazz can fall on rudy gobert where the hawks and hornets can't right yeah so think about this. This is where you see the difference between a Rudy Gobert and a Clint Capella. Exactly, exactly that. And then the Hornets have even less defense because they don't have a high don't level have a big, big man. man. Yeah, they're, not they're, a their high front level. One. Atrocious. Yeah. So then you're looking at it, and I'm like, can they get to the eighth seed? Maybe. Do I think it's possible? I mean, I haven't looked at the strength of either of their schedules, but I, I'm kind of well. Regardless so- of them actually getting to that eighth seed, I'm more saying, do you think Charlotte or Atlanta could beat? any of the Brooklyn, Toronto, Cleveland grouping oh. in a play-in to get that eight seed. That, that's more my question. No. Okay. That's, and that's where I kind of fall as well. So that's yeah, why I no. think for this exercise, we're going to be a little disrespectful, and we're just going to dismiss the Hawks and Hornets. Because I think at the end of the day, I don't think those teams are getting or winning two games to get to the play-in and, and, and capture that eight seed from one of those three teams above it. So, Which is crazy, right? Because Atlanta's got one of the deepest rosters in the East. They they don't make sense to me, man. I was so I, I was resistant to buying into them last year. Then they had that playoff run, and I was like, okay, hands up. I was wrong. You know, Trey's ice cold, and Trey's still a bucket. Trey, I, I have a weird relationship with how I view Trey Young. Like I would take him after almost every one of the other young guys that live in his you know tier of how good of a player he is but yet yeah. i know he's absolutely amazing on offense and he's what what makes that team go and you're right they feel like they have so many pieces but i i don't get why it hasn't all come together yet so i don't know what to, what to make of them but yeah they're, they're they're fascinating from where they were and where they ended up but it's a disappointing season for them it has to be right 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they had a bit of a stretch, like um, I think it was just before Christmas or just after, where they looked like they'd figured stuff out. Yeah, they went on a bit of a win streak. They looked legit, and there was a part of me that was like, "Man, these guys are going to be a tough team to knock out of the playoffs." And now all of a sudden, I'm like, "Man, do I think the Hawks could beat the Hornets?" I'm not maybe sure. Maybe yeah. Could they? Beat it feels the like a toss-up, right? Yeah. And then, like, could they beat the Nets? Well, if Kyrie's only playing now and again, but guess what? Kyrie looks like he's, he's going to be available all the time. Now oh, he's, offic- like, he's officially back. Yeah, yeah. Have they passed the mandate now? Yeah, the mandate mandate's done with. So he's Kyrie's back full time now. Okay, then. So at that point, like, yeah, okay. So the mandate's passed. I knew they were talking. I knew the mandate was in process. Like the process had mm-hmm. been started. I weren't sure if it had been passed. So now Kyrie's legit full time again. The Hawks and Hornets stand no chance. Uh, I I expect the Nets to get through in that seventh seed via playing. I expect them to beat the Raptors. Mm-hmm. And then I expect the Raptors to beat whoever wins between the Hawks and the Hornets. Yeah. However, I can see the a world where the Raptors fall in that second game. Yeah. Do, do you feel the same way about Cleveland? Because right now, Cleveland and Toronto, who played last night and had a chance to watch some of that game, they're actually they're virtually tied. Cleveland, I believe, holds the tiebreaker, which is why they're in six. So there's still yeah. very realistic realistic possibility Cleveland drops down to that seven seed. Do you feel the same way about Cleveland against either? I'm assuming you feel the same way about them against Brooklyn, but them against Charlotte or Atlanta. If Cleveland have Javon Allen available, because he's been injured for a hot mm-hmm. minute, you know, but if they've got their three big men available and they're running like that, um, the trio of giants, yeah. then mm, the Hornets and Hawks aren't touching them because they're not going to be yeah. able to score. Exactly. You know, I, I, mean, I feel the same way, even though it's a one game scenario. So, of course, things can get weird in a one game scenario. But I'm with you. I, I think there's a separation between the Nets, Raptors and Cavs versus those Hornets and Hawks. So let's take the Hornets and Hawks out of the scenario. For OK, that's fair. Right. Let's just let's just throw them out to the side. So that leaves us with the Bulls, the Cavs, the Raptors and the Nets. Out of those four, if you're the Celtics and we're going with that rumored, you know how there's been those rumors of like the one seed gets to pick who they want to play, which I which I think is kind of interesting, but also a little dangerous. I don't I haven't fully fully formed how I feel about that idea, but you know that idea that's been floated around a little bit. I've seen it around, and I, okay. I personally love such an idea. Yeah, well, it's very wrestling. So I think that's I I feel like it's up your alley of like of like you could make it into like a Royal Rumble style. Like who's yeah. next? Who do they choose? And it's like the Celtics choose the Cavaliers, and then the Cavaliers come running out, and then they you know they rock bottom or something like that. Like, I, I, I can oh, I, I, I can see the drama to it. It's a whole new TNT production. Like I I can totally or ESPN whoever whoever picks it up. Like I can see the vision behind it. So I get it. So let's say we're going with this right now. And what we're just choosing is out of the Bulls, Cavs, Raptors, Nets. Give me the number one team. We can go We can go one at a time. We'll go back and forth here. Who's the number one team out of that, that if you could choose who the Celtics play, who is it? In terms of for the Celtics to come out as a winner? Yeah, so round one, if you have to rank, who oh, do Cavs? I prefer to play? Yeah, I think that's the easy call. It's, it, it has to be the Cavs. They're super young. They've been banged up. You just mentioned the Jared Allen thing. You know, they, they lost Rubio earlier, no Colin Sexton. Like, it, 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 the Cavs, I think, unfortunately, as great as their season has been, I think they're the easy call here. Yeah, you can manipulate them because of their age. Like, Jarrett Allen's a huge piece for them. I think Evan Mobley's going to be, uh, like, a top-tier big man in this yeah. league for a very, very long time. But at the end of the day, this year is all about giving that young core playoff experience. And as Celtics guys and you know, people that have been watching this Celtics team for a long time, we understand the value of getting your young, 
high level players or high ceiling players early playoff experience because that exposure is what gives you that it kind of iron sharpens iron sort of yeah. mentality we're talking about towns over in minnesota is yet mm-hmm. to understand what it's like to be in that postseason and you know part of me feels like that's what where his um limited de- defensive developments come from mm-hmm. because he doesn't understand what it takes to be great at that level so i think while the Cavaliers will be the easiest out this year, and that's my number one pick, I also think that the problem with them making the playoffs is it's only going to improve them in years two, three, and four down the line. Oh yeah, this is this is a springboard, this is a launching yeah, pad for them. Yeah, this exactly. is this is them getting their feet wet and getting that experience because other than Kevin Love, nobody has experience on this team. You know what no. I mean? Like even even Jared Allen was traded away last year, so he didn't play in the playoffs with the, with the Nets. You know, the year before, so nobody really has any significant playoff experience on that team. So this will be a launching pad for them, but it just seems you know a bridge too far to really think that they could they could go into a series and on and being the visiting team, go ahead and get it from the Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, or Heat. Just just seems a bit too far. So I'm with you, Cavs. I think they're the number one choice. No problem. Easy. This is where I think it gets interesting. Two and three. Who is the second team that you would pick? So remaining, we have the Bulls, the Raptors, and the Nets. You get to choose who you want to play that the Celtics will play in the first round. Who do you choose? Chicago. All right. We're on the same page again. Yeah. I. It's right. And, and, and after, after the season that they've had, it feels kind of crazy. And we touched on this, I think, last episode of they're getting some guys back, but it it feels like the Bulls is the right choice. Tell me a little bit more about about why you think the Bulls over the over the Raptors and Nets. Yeah, so I'm just pulling up. I like I like to look at ten game sample sizes when I'm looking at like momentum and form for the team. They're, right, Bulls are three and seven in their last ten. There we go. You found it for me already. So three and seven. Now we're talking about a team that earlier this season, you know, I was like, man, they've just got weapons all over the floor. You know, Caruso comes off the bench as their energy and hustle guy really changes the outlook of that team from a bench standpoint. Levine is elite at, get, at getting to the rim. What I like to classify as a play finisher, but Levine can also play make a little bit. Vucevic gives you that big man that can shoot and spread the floor. DeMar DeRozan is the guy that while you're trying to limit Vucevic and Levine and Lonzo Ball from the perimeter, DeMar's working in behind that first line of defense, getting those middies. But on the flip side, their defense hasn't been great over the last few months. I think that we've really seen them become exposed teams, kind of like they would get it was that shock and awe mentality from Chicago to start the year. They had so many weapons and it was really hard to figure out how to shut down everybody. And then teams have adapted. And now all of a sudden, what you're seeing is Chicago don't have the personnel available at the moment beyond their start, their top six guys to really outlast. If someone hunkers down and really puts their defensive um, like wall up, Chicago, it's not like Chicago can go deep into their bench and feel comfortable. That second unit just isn't that great. Yeah. And I think that Boston's second unit is quite robust, even though it's only an eight, nine-man rotation. I think that realistically, Chicago's only like a six or seven-man rotation. And that's just one or two players short. And I just don't think that, you know, uh, let's go for it play by player. Is Lonzo Ball better than Marcus Smart? I think there's I, an I argument mean, I, to be made. I got to say no right now, especially where he's injured. I mean, yeah. he just had a setback. So you have to say no. So it's Marcus Smart. Yeah, I think Marcus Smart's the better defender. I think he's showing that he's almost, I wouldn't say he's there, but he's a comparable playmaker in terms of control of the game, control of the speed. Mm-hmm. Is, Zach Levine, better, is Zach Levine better than Jalen Brown? 
This is an interesting one because I think leading up to last year and certainly into this year, like I almost would have would have instinctively said Jalen Brown. I think this one's really tight. I'm being it's honest. It's the hardest one. I'll it's do. yeah, I, I really do. Like I, I, I think an argument can be made because I think I think this is where I think it gets hard and I'm going to say it's probably pretty even is because I think Jalen Brown gets the edge on the defensive end and I don't I think Zach Levine's improved on that area but I think Jalen Brown still easily gets the advantage but I think Zach Levine's a better playmaker like I think he's just had more reps and so I think on that end of the court he's a little bit more advanced but otherwise I think they do a lot of similar stuff Zach Levine's probably a little bit more of a pure bucket getter and so maybe that gives him the slight edge. So I'd say it's either a jaw or I'd have to unfortunately go probably slight edge to Zach Levine, but it's super close. So I, I think okay. it's, I, I think it's negligible. So let's say it's let's say that let's say we give Levine for the, for the benefit of the argument. Let's say we give mm-hmm. the nod to him, even though personally I'm like the fact that Brown is a comparable scorer, a little bit worse of a playmaker, but a vastly better defender kind of gives Brown the edge for me. But just for yeah. the sake of this discussion, we'll, we'll call give, it a draw. If I go slightly, we'll Zach, call it you a go draw. slightly, Jay, we'll call it a draw. Yeah. So we've got the Celtics are up one at the moment. Smart's better than Ball. We've got a draw with Levine and Brown. So then we move on to the small forward, and it's pretty much where DeRozan operates. Yeah. So we'll call DeRozan that. DeRozan's been fantastic this year. Let's not make, awesome. let's not lie. But he's not Jason Tatum. Jason no, Tatum is Jason the better Tatum. player. Yeah, but like it's there's not even a discussion to really be had. Right, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Demar Derozan. That's the part that's always tough when you compare players and you pick one over the other because then it makes it seem like you're trashing or dismissive. And it's like Demar's been awesome this year. He's he's so far exceeded my expectations. Oh, and I for think, sure. And, and I really do think that you know earlier in the year, you know how we talked a lot about Tatum and Brown's playmaking. It's just a conversation that we've been having throughout the year ongoing, and you know people really underrate what DeMar going to basically, you know, isolation in, in San Antonio for two years did because he had to be the guy. I think Zach Levine had a little bit of that in Chicago before DeMar got there, which also helped his skill set. It's just like, hey, you're the guy. You're going to get all of, a lot of our points. Like, you just have to have the ball in your hands more. And through that, they kind of worked through issues and became better playmakers. And so DeMar DeRozan, the way that he's really carried this team through a lot of the injuries that we've talked about, super impressive he's you've seen the highlights you've seen the game-winning shots that he hit he's an assassin from the mid-range basically him and kd are miles above anybody else when it comes to you know those mid-range numbers especially when you look at the steph curry's of the mid-range is what kd and, and demar DeRozan are you know yeah. what i mean with the volume and the type of shots they take but at the end of the day jason tatum is better than demar DeRozan. they probably both are all nba players this year but it's jason tatum and you're right there's there, there really isn't much of a discussion about it. yeah i feel like there's a big gap yeah then you've got Patrick Williams, assuming he comes slides back into that starting four spot. Is Patrick Williams better than Al Horford? At this no. point, no. Long term, no. I love his potential. I, I'm a big Pat Williams believer. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I really like. I, I really thought early on, like if he had been healthy all year and he was getting that true like second year building path. And you've seen guys like Tyrese Maxey and Desmond Bain across the league who have taken off with expanded roles in their second year. Like I, I think that could have been Pat Williams, but. Him just coming back, I think he's. I know I saw last night he played 17 minutes. I don't know if that was his first game, or maybe second game back, but it's it's just going to be too much. Second year guy, build him back in. You know, it's 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 a lot of responsibility for a guy who hasn't played. And we we've talked about Al a bunch on this team. Al's been ama- Al's been other than his jump shot, which is now coming back. That was what was kind of failing him at the beginning of the year. Al's been amazing for this team. He's done everything that this team needs behind the scenes on the court. The answer is Al Horford for right now. And then, then you've got Vucevic versus Robert Williams. Now, I think that's the hardest one because 
it's two players in the same position in vastly, like wildly different roles. Like, how do you even compare them? You know what I how mean? How do you compare them? So we'll put that one as a draw because I think Vucevic is uh, a more versatile offensive threat, but he's nowhere near the defensive anchor than what Robert Williams is. So the only thing for this that I would say is, in this, I'm gonna steal. I'm, I'm gonna come into your territory on this. I think that Robert Williams is more impactful than Nikola. Oh, by by a country mile. So that so that's where I would actually probably I would I would give Robert Williams the edge. But I, to your point, we can't disrespect how how versatile and how good Vooch is on offense. So I'm happy to call this a draw. But if we were to to just say who's more impactful, I would say Robert Williams. So that gives the Celtics a. Three, okay, we'll do the six man as well. So, is Derek White better than Alex Caruso? Because yeah. Alex Caruso gets that impact vote, you know. Yeah, he's he's an impact guy for sure, and and he's also coming back from injury. Just came back about a week or two ago, you know. But I I do think Derek White is is more versatile than Alex Caruso, yeah. and I like Caruso a lot. I think I think Caruso. I mean, obviously the Lakers really really regret letting Caruso go, which is funny that it feels like part of their season has swung on whether or not they retained Alex Caruso, but that that certainly seems to be part of the case. I would lean towards Derek White, and so I would give him the edge in the in the six man category. Okay, so would I because I think like there's a more robust game in Derek White than there is in Caruso. I think that Derek White does a lot more things at a high level than what Caruso does. So that gives the Celtics a how can I word this? That gives if we're going shot for shot, player for player, the Celtics have four matchups what they win outright and two that are very comparable. The Celtics mm-hmm. lose none of their matchups through the first through the top six of that rotation. Go exactly. You know what I mean? And, and the one which, part I have to add in real quick is is with the Lonzo one, we still don't know if he's gonna be back. So that might be yeah. that, that might be Colby White or AO DeSumo, who AO I really like. He's been fantastic. But but but, but it's Marcus Smart by but but that gap between those two players and Marcus Smart versus right. Lonzo Ball and Mar- it's it's much wider. So that that once again increases everything that you're talking about here. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if you're winning four of your top six rotation matchups and the other two, you're you're not losing any because the other two are very com- comparable, then you have to be the favorites to come out of that series, which is why I've gone Chicago over Toronto. Yep, that's exactly it. So let's go to three. And I, I, I'm going to assume Toronto is our is our is both of our picks here at three, and then we would go Nets at four. Is that probably... That's one hundred percent correct. You are okay. right, my good sir. We'll talk about. I kind of wish Greg was here for this. Cause I think he may be the wild card and actually flip this because he's so high on Toronto. Scott. He's. I mean, he he's he's had Scotty Barnes in the brain since day one, and he made some wild comps. But you know, Scotty Barnes has played has has played out pretty well for for the wildness that Greg has thrown into the mix. So I got to give him that. But I, I'm with you. I think you got to take Toronto over Brooklyn as far as who you would prefer to play in that first round. And we'll dig into it here in a second, but I think this is the biggest differentiator for me is that Toronto, it's going to be a tough, grueling series with one of the best coaches in the league. You heard Tatum. If you listen to the Old Man and Three podcast with J.J. Reddick when he had Jason Tatum on, he talked about one of the biggest reasons that we lost to Miami was because of how long it took us to put away Toronto, like how big it was that we had to go seven games with them and how much we were beat up by that point and then had to go play another tough team in Miami. Like that wore us down. Toronto's going to wear you down. But with Brooklyn, they're not going to it's not going to be as physical or as as brutal of a series, but it's Kevin Durant. It's Kyrie Irving. Toronto's going to be a brutal series that I don't expect to lose. Brooklyn would be a series that we could potentially lose, and that's a massive difference. And to so, me, and to me that that's where I see 
you know, why Toronto's three, why Brooklyn's four, and of course, Brooklyn having KD and Kyrie is easily part of that tiebreaker as well. Yeah, I mean, if we look at Toronto first, because I've got some thoughts on, on Brooklyn as well. Yeah, let's if talk we about Toronto at, first. If we look at Toronto, I just want to go through that same exercise again, because I feel like it adds value yeah. to everyone listening, and, you know, it gives good discussion points for when people want to share this episode. Um, so we've got Fred Van Vliet. Is Fred Van Vliet better than Marcus Smart? I would say yes. Yeah, that's going to... I was So I, I told you I was watching the Cavs and, and Raptors game last night. And I was I, I was I started thinking of this concept in my head as I was watching that game. And man, I love Fred Van Vliet. I'm so I've been such yeah, a Fred Van Vliet fan. And I just think he's as much as I love Marcus Smart, he's slightly better. I don't think the gap is massive, but I, I do think Van Vliet gets the edge. Did you know I'm just pulling it up now because I saw it earlier today. I was looking at some like obscure stats. Mm-hmm. And of out of every undrafted player currently playing in the NBA this season, Fred Van Vliet has the most points per game at 20.8. I mean, I, I believe it. Do you know who's second? It. Undrafted. Was Chris... No, Chris Middleton. It's not Chris Middleton. I think he was a second-round pick. Chris Middleton was a second-round pick. He ranked yeah. second amongst all second-rounders for points per game this season behind Jokic. Behind Jokic, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Give me the answer. Christian Wood. Christian Wood. I always... I forget about him just because he's out in Houston and, you know, they're not very good. So I don't watch them very often. <laughs> I, I, so, I mean, I, I forget about Christian Wood. I saw the other night, I think he hit seven three-pointers in a row in the fourth quarter or something he's crazy. Ridiculous, I, I saw the last step back he hit where he was, it was, it was the biggest heat check. Everyone in the building knows I'm shooting. He shot it from like six feet behind the line, dancing around, like with the ball back and forth as a big man. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. I don't know if it was in the flow of their offense, but it was, uh, it was fun to watch. So the um the Raptors are pretty much if I I mean I haven't watched a large amount of the Raptors this year, but I think I've seen enough to feel like OG Ananobi's their two guy. Yeah, they, they kind of go with this like weird lineup of it's it's basically Fred Van Vliet, and then they can mix in about five to six different versions of yeah. you know, six six to six nine, six ten guys long that are athletic, that all that, that are long athletic, can handle the ball, can do multiple things, can guard multiple positions. But yeah, OG is going to be in that mix. So we so we would use OG versus Jalen Brown is what I think we're getting. Yeah, right. yeah. And I feel like Jalen Brown has that. Yeah, Jalen gets this. I love OG. I think OG has a lot of Jalen Brown to his game in the sense that every time I watch him or every year over year, he can do something else. He can do something that he yeah. couldn't the year before. London and so yeah, like like I, yeah, that's right. Shout out. There you go. Is, is he the only guy in the league from from England? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even from London, so I couldn't care less. But yeah, but it's still yeah, England. He's the only one. Yo, yo, forget about forget about the city rep. It's the country rep, man. I mean, it's not a yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta get what you can get. So shout out to OG. Um, but yeah, no, I love OG. Jalen Brown's got to take this here, but OG ain't nothing to mess with. Where are they playing Siakam? Is he playing the four? So that's I mean that once again that's that's kind of the, the thing night. because I and I don't have in front of me their I have their games played in their minute distribution. But I don't have who uh, who's regularly been starting for them. So, yeah, maybe you can pull that up here. Because right now, so their top minute getters are, we talked about Van Vliet, Siakam second, then it's OG, and then it's Scotty and Gary. 
But I know I think Precious may start sometimes. Sometimes Boucher starts. So it gets it gets and then Thad Young has come in. Recently. So Siakam's playing most of his time at the four this year, which means they're running Scotty Barnes at the three. So Scotty okay. Barnes, however impressive, however good, however high his ceiling is, is not Jason Tatum's level. Maybe Bad. he can get there, but at the moment, this season, I don't care about the future. Scotty Barnes is not lacing up Tatum sneakers right now. Yeah, so, and, and, and that's the biggest point. It's the same. It's it's somewhat similar to the Patrick Williams point. Love, love, love his potential long term. It's not right now, but 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 it's not three weeks from now when the playoffs start. Yeah, you know. So now we've got the Raptors win at the point guard battle. Fred VanVleet takes that. The Celtics then go Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, winning those two battles, which gives us Pascal Siakam versus Al Horford. This is that. This has to go to, to Siakam, I think. It does. I just think that yeah. you know his length, his his ability to disrupt the offense. He's got good low post work. Um, Siakam he basically runs point guard at points too. Yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I mean, I mean, Al can can do that in his own right at a certain point. But you know, Pascal Siakam this year has been really, really good. I mean, he's averaging twenty two points here on forty nine percent from the field. He's actually shooting thirty seven percent from three. Hit six threes in the game. I was watching last night. You know, he's got eight, 8.3 rebounds and 5.1 assists, 1.2 steals. Like, Pascal's doing a lot of work out there. And he's, I think he came back a little bit late. Like, he didn't start the season because I think he was injured. And then he had a little bit of a slow start. But since then, he's really picked it up. And anytime I check in on the Raptors, he's somebody that you certainly notice and is, has been very impactful. So, yeah, Pascal Siakam has to get that over, over Al Horford. And I, I do want to kind of premise this now just to say that just because these are the matchups on paper doesn't mean they're going to be the matchups in the game. Jason right. Tatum ha- has a bit of a history of shutting down Siakam. So does Brown. I think Jalen Brown's handled Siakam quite a bit as well. Yeah. But just like we're just going position per position, what matchup, like, you know, paper works. So now we've got two for two. You know, both teams are evenly matched. They've got ma- um, matchup dominance in two positions each, which takes us over to the center position where it's going to be Ken Birch versus Rob Williams. I think Rob Williams walks away with the title here. Yeah, uh, so... Birch is good, though. Birch is solid. I mean, this is, this, this is where I think it's really fascinating because the Raptors are going to test you in ways that no other team will because their big man rotation is essentially Ken Birch, Thad Young, Precious Achua, and Boucher. Those are like their traditional, more traditional bigs. That are going to get that are going to get run, but we haven't even talked about a guy like Gary Trent. Maybe that will be that will be our six man conversation. But they're going to be able to to manipulate their lineups in a way that you have to decide: Are you going to stay double big? Are you going to match us and go small ball? You're going to put Grant at the five. You're going to roll with Rob Williams at the five, and then go you know with a with a bunch of wings and Marcus Smart. So I think it's going to be a really interesting test. But if we're doing it just based on who started majority of their games as a as a center. It's got to be, you know, Rob Williams, and it's an easy call. But I think it gets a little bit more intricate when you start to think of the ways that Nick Nurse manipulates his lineups. And that's a coaching battle that I don't think Udoka's ready to win. We talk about that Patrick, Patrick Williams, Scotty, um, Scotty Barnes have these high ceilings in the future. I feel that same way about Udoka at this point. But coming up against somebody like Nick Nurse that's so inventive and so like manipulative with the way his lineups come out there and he kind of lures you into this kind of scheme and then snaps his fingers and there's you're completely you've played into his hands we've seen brad stevens kind of fall into that trap before i think this is a a series where udoka could find himself getting scored a little bit and that's no disrespect to udoka i think that he's going to be a fantastic coach i think he's done an excellent job but nick nurse is just a, a master of the dark arts he's voldemort um if we go six man i mean Derek White versus Gary Trent. 
Yeah, but is it really? I mean, I feel like Toronto six man's more like Precious Achua. So that's the thing is like very much like the Celtics, they have a pretty tight rotation and they yeah. know who they are. They know who's playing. And so it, it's kind of hard to define who would be their, their six man. So, so we leave it at the five. No, yeah, I mean, we'll, that, we'll leave it at the five. I mean, the, the point of this overall, I think we're making is that it's, this series is a lot more even than you might think. Yeah. And it's but a I, lot. And Toronto are just built in a very similar way. Long yeah. athletic disruptors. They don't let you settle. Very much what Boston do. Boston do it through hustle and effort. Toronto do it through length and just kind of like dogness. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? For sure. Uh, I think that's probably, and this is why my thoughts on Brooklyn are what they are. Because I think that Brooklyn are far more of a threat to, to blow you out. You know what I mean? But I don't think their roster composition is as detrimental to the Celtics as what Toronto's is. But you have to put Brooklyn last because it's Kevin Durant. It's Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie yeah, Irving. You, you have to. I mean, that's so that's the thing. So this is this is my when I talk with Greg about this, this is what I always kind of go back and forth with him is just to me the 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 Raptor series, it's gonna be grueling. It we're very like you said. The styles are very kind of matched up. Like we just went through it. There's a lot of evenness when you look at the roster and the coaching probably tilts towards the Raptors. So I get why that's a, that's a, a tough matchup. But when it is that tight, typically what happens? The team that has the best player or players, like the top top level top level talent, usually wins. And that's Jason Tatum in this in in that series, like by far. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I think yeah, it's, I think it's, it's not even close. That's what I'm saying. And so I think that's where, you know, and, and I think Jalen Brown's right there as far as whether it's Siakam or Van Vliet is the best player on the, on the Raptors right now today, like Jalen Brown's right there, if not above them. And so you may have the two best players in that series. And so I, I feel very confident that while it will be grueling, it's not going to be easy. You're going to get beat up. You may be worse for the wear in the next round or the next two rounds. You're going to win that series with Brooklyn. Kevin Durant's the best player in that series. Love Jason Tatum. Kevin Durant's the best player in that series until further notice. Like I just, <laughs> I mean, it, right? Like, like it's yeah. it, just, it is what it is. That's no disrespect to Jason Tatum. And then We're the talking- question is, is Kyrie the second best player in that series? I'd say maybe it goes Durant, Tatum, Kyrie. I mean, I, I, yeah, right. But I, but I think between Kyrie and Jalen, there is a gap. Like I think there's a bigger gap than 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 those top three. Like I think those. Of course, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Especially. Have you seen some of the numbers, Kyrie? Now that he's coming back full time, it's a little bit more real and scary. Have you seen some of these games where he's put up sixty and fifty, and he's going twelve of nineteen, seven of eight from three? Like the efficiency with which Kyrie was putting fresh, up. Some, dude. I know, and that's and that's the scary, scary part of this team is that the two of them. And I use I'm going to recycle a line I used with with Greg on our other show the other day. The way that Kevin Durant and Kyrie play. They give you those. Remember that old Mark Jackson line that he used to. He doesn't really use as much anymore, but he used to use it a lot. Good D, better O. Like that's how I feel <laughs> with them and the Celtics. Like the Celtics can play amazing defense, contest every single shot they take. Those two guys are good enough to give Mark Jackson the you know that line for him to get that line off all seven games and potentially still win that series, even though they're taking. Tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. Because they're too like they can make it. That's, and then when you surround them with you ha- with with Patty Mills and Seth Curry, two knockdown shooters, and especially Patty Mills, he's got the playoff experience. He's not he's not scared. You know, Seth Curry, 
statistically just from he doesn't shoot at the volume his brother does but the percentage he's right there he's actually above his brother all the time with the percentage doesn't take the same volume or type of shots but he's knocked down Goran Dragic you know he's been in big moments he's been in the finals recently like he's not going to be afraid those guys are going to be really really tough to defend no matter how good your defense is and, and even that- if you throw in the aging veterans Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge they know yeah. what their job is and they're going to be physical they're your enforcers on this team and you know if you want to talk about mid-range shots open up more in the playoffs than they're doing the in the regular season because of the brand of defense it's a little bit of a slower pace not vastly slower like it used to be but it's still a bit slower LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be able to eat in that mid-range area because you're not going to want to play too high up on him because he's got the height and the playmaking ability to hit cutters with passes. Mm-hmm. There's just so many like little avenues the Nets can go to hurt you based off their spacing, based off the personnel. Now, do I think the roster composition is favorable towards Brooklyn over Boston, the way it is, the way we've kind of broke this down for everybody? I think that, you know, at the end of the day, when you have two of the best three players in, in, in the series backed by multiple veterans with elite experience i think the roster composition is probably going in favor of brooklyn whether you would like to admit it or not it's hard to see where boston are going to find their advantages so see i would push back a little bit on that because I, i think the top end of 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 brooklyn's roster i clearly agree with you you know having having those two guys but when you go beyond that and you're looking at you know let's let's take the jays let's take Kyrie and kd out of it Let's, let's put them okay. off, off to the side for a second. The next three, you know, best players on the, so we'll take, so for the Celtics, that'd be Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, and Al Horford. Those are their three next, next yeah. best players. The three next best players on the Nets as of this moment. So I'm not counting Ben Simmons because that's, that's something we'll talk about in a minute. That's like a wild, wild X factor that could be thrown into this, but <laughs> he, he's not there right now. Have you seen him no, on the court? Not, ha, ha, have you seen him lace up a sneaker and put it on an NBA basketball court recently, Adam? No, sir. Have you? All right. No, I haven't either. So, so he's out of the picture. We're not, we're not talking about Ben Simmons right now. So after that, you know, I'm looking at uh, Seth, once again, Seth Curry, Patty Mills. And then do you want to say it's Andre Drummond? Do you want to say it's LaMarcus Aldridge? Do you want to say it's Nick Claxton? We'll, we'll select Andre Drummond just because it gives us the big man matchup between okay. him and Hal Horford. Okay. So Seth Curry, Patty Mills, and Andre Drummond. That's their next three versus Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, and Al Horford. If we're going Ice Cube three-on-three, I like the Celtics' chances in that. If we're going three-on-three, yeah, I like the Celtics' chances too. But, okay, so here's where my thoughts differ between Chicago and Toronto and Brooklyn. Chicago and Toronto, uh, specifically Toronto, are built in a way that every player fits a system. Chicago is more individualistic, kind of like what Brooklyn's going to be. It's a bunch yeah. of in- talented individuals that are being told to play together. Whereas Chicago is, hey, we're going to bring in the guys that fit the system best. That's what makes, sorry, where Toronto are the guys that we're going to fit the system best. And that's what makes Toronto such a tough out. Now, when you're looking at Brooklyn, I think that Boston wins that there, that three on three, you know. But what I'm thinking is, the Nets have done a really good job of accentu- of adding accentuating talent. You know what I mean? And I think that the three guys that we've just mentioned, Andre Drummond, uh, Patty Mills, and Seth Curry. Now, Drummond is uh, unquestionably one of the best rebounders in the NBA right now. And he's gave Rob Williams the work several times because Rob, for however athletic he is, just doesn't have the physical stature to doesn't deal have the with. Yeah. yeah, like, get off me type of mentality, right? 
And uh, I feel like the accentuators, the, the, the way I'm looking at this is Brooklyn has better accentuators for their talent than what Boston does for its talent. Seth Curry and Patty Mills are going to be floor spacers for KD and Kyrie isolations. You know they're going to isolate, so you've built a team based around that isolation. Anyone misses a shot, Andre Drummond's right there. If Andre Drummond's not there, Blake Griffin's there. Blake Griffin, who can't really jump anymore. If Blake <laughs> Griffin's not there, Lamarcus Aldridge is there. So I feel like Boston might have a few matchup advantages, but in terms of like fitting, like going against Brooklyn as a unit, I don't think there's many ways Boston can look to, like, how can I put this? I don't think there's any ways they can look to force advantages. I think Brooklyn are really well constructed to, they know who they are as a unit and they've built themselves as such. As an offensive unit, I agree with you. I think as, as a defensive, defensive unit, different. I think they're quite questionable. It's, yeah, you know oh, no, I mean? for sure. And, and so that's where I think, you know, the, the Celtics offense, having turned it around as well with the defense and, and being something that, that's a weapon. You know, you saw the ball moving the other night against the Utah Jazz, where I think the Celtics made the first 10 baskets on 10 assists. And I think they shot 70 or no, 80 percent, 79 percent in the first quarter. Like the Celtics offense is no longer a joke. You know, they, they're not going to be able to overcome the early season struggles to, to make their overall season numbers look the way of what it really representative of what it has been, you know, during this elongated stretch of success. But the offense is not a joke, especially the way Jason Tatum's playing, especially what you get from Jalen Brown, the way Marcus Smart's playing, the way Al Horford's knocking down shots, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. Like, that's another part with, like, when you look at the Nets and Raptors, I think Pritchard is a horrible matchup against the Raptors with their length and size. Like, I don't know if that's a great area for him. I think in this series, Peyton Pritchard can absolutely get some run. If they're going to be running out constantly with, you know, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Goran Dragic, right. he, can, he can play with them, you yeah, know? Like, sure. like you know what I'm saying? Like, like this, this is this is one where you can insert Peyton Pritchard to get that extra space and to give more driving lanes to Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You can open it up a little bit more. And so I think it would be challenging to, to go firepower with the Nets. But where the Celtics can apply at least enough defensive pressure, it's one of those things where I always say guys like Kyrie and KD, nobody shuts them down. It's who gives them you know, enough trouble to slow them down. They're going to get their numbers. They're going to get their buckets eventually some way, somehow. How do you make their life so difficult? And over a seven-game series, I think the Celtics can do that. And then offensively, they can have, I don't want to say have their way with this team. But at least as presently constructed, I don't think there's going to be a ton of resistance. And so that's where I, I would feel good about the Celtics. But the Nets still have to be last in this power rankings that we're doing here because KD and Kyrie are. This is the only team out of the four that we've talked about where I can envision a scenario where the Celtics lose a game seven on their home court because you have KD and Kyrie on the other side. So my my big my only like uh, I feel like I've been very pro Brooklyn during this discussion and I I just kind of and I feel like you've just gave a lot of reasons why the Celtics aren't um complete right offs in that series so I just kind of want to give my reasoning why I'm leaning heavily into Brooklyn because yeah. I completely agree I think that you know when it comes to the Celtics defense being able to limit guys and then the lack of Brooklyn defense where Boston can really explore. And like you say, Peyton Pritchard's going to get a decent run now. I think he's going to work. I even could see Aaron Neesmith finding pockets to actually work from. Let's, let's not get not, crazy. Well, he did it last year. He's <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing it up now. Yeah. You know? No, I got but, you. I got you. Um, but, you know, if it's not Neesmith, it could be Stauskas could find pockets to work. And, you know, I feel Brooklyn's defense is tailor-made for a catch-and-shoot guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can really hurt them with just a guy that's going to be able to find pockets, catch-and-shoot, catch-and-shoot. Now, the reason I'm so high on Brooklyn is because I think that no matter 
how many points you put up against them, they can outscore you. And that was the way they were when it was the trio of Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. And that's the way they are with the duo of Durant and Kyrie. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, Boston can do everything right on offense. They can put, they can go and drop 130 on you. They can drop 120 on you. Hell, they could even go as high as 140 if everything was clicking. Brooklyn can go do 150, 160, and 100 of those points can come from two of their guys. Do you know what I mean? I just feel yeah. like they have the offensive firepower that no matter what you throw at them, and they know they can't stop what you're going to throw at them, especially when it's Tatum and Brown, they can outdo you. And that's where my concern is. I could see it going to seven games, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see it go to five or six. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the thing. This is why Brooklyn's last of the teams that we want to see. Oh, for sure. For all these reasons. You know what I mean? This, this is exactly it because I feel like this is the one series where you can really make a strong case either argument. Every other series that we talked about, Cleveland, Chicago, and even Toronto, I feel like it's really hard to make that case for those teams not named the Celtics to come out of that series. Like you can, like Toronto, you can get pretty close, but I still think it would be a little bit of a stretch. It would be a surprise if they go ahead and win this series. Nobody's going to be surprised if Kevin Durant comes in and wins this series. So I, I think this is, I mean, ob- and I think for obvious reasons, out of those four teams that we talked about at the top of the East that are all separated by a game and a half, this is what everyone's trying to avoid and why the end of the season is so fascinating because like, do you want home court advantage throughout the playoffs, but maybe you get the Brooklyn Nets in round one, or do you want to fall to that three, four and hope you get Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, you know? So it's, it's really interesting to see how this is all going to play. This is why I wanted to do this. Cause I think it's kind of fascinating with how tough the East is. And there's not really any, easy matchups with the way that we've got. I mean, we've gone 45 minutes talking about each of these teams and how close these matchups are going to be. And it's, it's going to be, and then, and then here's the last thing on Brooklyn. Where are you at with Ben Simmons at this point? Not, not that we have any Intel or maybe we just, we just, we just don't know enough, but like, do you think if Ben Simmons somehow finds a way to, there's about 10 games left. He finds a way to come back for a handful of these regular season games and he might not be ramped up all the way. So let's say, you know, I'm looking right now, Bruce Brown's giving them 23 minutes. Let's say, you know, he's not replacing those minutes, but let's, let's say that he's replacing the Kessler Edwards 21 minutes. Let's say that, let's say that Ben Simmons is replacing the Kessler Edwards 21 minutes. How do you think that's enough to just be like, man, this is, this might be game over because he can be that good defensively, even if he's not. Yeah. Well, doing it, it changes else, the narrative of you. Brooklyn can't stop anything you're doing for sure. 100%. Do you know what I mean? It also changes the narrative of you can easily slow that. Like you can do everything to slow Brooklyn down offensively because now, because the one thing that Ben Simmons, and I know everybody's got this opinion of him that he's trash and Ben Simmons is elite. He is an elite yeah, really defender. He's an elite penetrator. And he's an elite playmaker. Now, when you pair an elite penetrator and an elite playmaker together, then all of a sudden things start getting a little bit difficult to contain. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think that if Ben Simmons did come back at a 20-minute mark, first of all, I think it would be detrimental to the Nets to do that because I think that the Nets have figured the Nets have had all season where they haven't been able to figure out who they are because of ins and outs. They've finally got a rotation that's fairly settled. The last thing you want to do is unsettle that 10 games before the playoffs. From Brooklyn's standpoint, the best thing to do is just bite the bullet and deal with Ben Simmons, integrating Ben Simmons over the offseason, come back super strong next year. Now, if they did feel like Ben Simmons' defense was, was worth kind of rattling that cage a little bit and kind of taking a step back in the cohesiveness of the team, which by all accounts it probably is, yeah. then... Yeah, Ben Simmons comes into this and all of a sudden, I don't think 
any team in the East is going to have an easy game. It's going to like your best hope of beating Brooklyn is in a seven game series at that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm torn with the Ben Simmons thing because I think in, in theory, everything you just said is spot on. You know, when you think back to that Nets, Nets game a couple of weeks ago where, where KD and, and Tatum are, are dueling at some point, Ben Simmons is, is, is taking on that responsibility of, of Jason Tatum for an extended period of time. And there's probably an extended period of time where he's seeing Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons only, you know, especially in a playoff series. That's a lot of length to be, to be, to be thrown at you all game. And well, I do think it, and I do think it makes a difference, but at the same time, I, I can't think of a scenario, you know, at least in my lifetime watching basketball, where a guy this high level has just been thrown into the flames right into a postseason and has made a, a meaningful impact that shifted, you know, title contention. And so that's where I'm left a little hesitant without seeing anything. And we'll see what happens over these next 10 games, but I just don't know if there's a case for it, but. If it's ever going to happen on a team, it's going to have to happen on a team that has an all-time guy. Kevin Durant's that guy. So weird, you know. It's the, the, it's the NBA where drama shifting. happens. Look, I'm not expecting Simmons to come in and shift the power of title contention because I feel like Brooklyn, now that Kyrie's back full time, already have that power. Do you know That's what fair. I mean? I've got them as a top two, top three candidate for the championship at the end of the yeah. season. I think the only team I've really holding above them right now, the only two teams, not actually the only team. Is the Phoenix Suns? I just think you wouldn't, you wouldn't put Milwaukee there right now. I've got Milwaukee third directly behind okay. them because, like, kind of like Brooklyn, but for different reasons. Milwaukee have been without a lot of their guys in and out all through the year. Now the only difference is Milwaukee have a lot more continuity. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So you can put Brooklyn second if you want, and put um, put Brooklyn third if you want, and Milwaukee second. That's fine. The point still stands that we're not saying a high level guy is going to come in and swing the the balance of power towards Brooklyn because that balance of power is already kind of there. All we're doing is putting them saying, okay, if they are third, now they're probably second. Or maybe yeah. they're second and now they're on par for first. It's just adding a layer on. Whereas if it had been like, hey, the, the Celtics have been without Tatum all year, the 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 eighth seed now Tatum's coming back. Well we can't really expect him to come back and lead them to a finals. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this is hey, we're just adding in the third piece yeah he's not the I mean? piece he's the third piece. And I you think know that, it's, it's that's it's gonna be how we differentiate between the two yeah it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating man i can't wait for this playoffs you know to your temperature checkpoint the bucks are eight and two in their last 10 so they're yeah, just as hot as the celtics are right now they're they're getting all their guys back i think you know i i think they're i think for me they're the they're the leader in the clubhouse for who I, out of the east if i absolutely had to put money on i think it's the bucks and i think i think honestly the celtics and nets are, are right there especially when you look at What's happening? Before we get out of here, we got to touch real quick. Did you see what happened in Miami the other night? I saw that Spoen and Butler got into it, but I don't oh know what happened. Oh, my God. It was spicy. So I, I don't know what the fight, how the fight started, but essentially Butler and Spo were yelling at each other. I think Spo at one point, if you look at the video, says, what, do you want to fight me? And then at that point, Udonis Haslam, who's the grizzled vet that's been with Spo for what feels like 25 years at this point, you know, without a moment's notice, just hops in and he's like, I got you, Spo, and started, you know, muscling up with Jimmy Butler. They keep going at it. Spo throws the clipboard at Jimmy. You know, they, they play it off like it's nothing, but, you know, they lose back-to-back -back massive home games to the Warriors without any of their guys, the Sixers without any of their guys. Like, I don't know what to make of that Miami team right now, so I, I, I'm not sure where they're at. So, to me, Milwaukee, Boston, and, and Brooklyn 
are, are really the teams that I'm looking at with, with a sprinkle in of Philadelphia as the teams that I think have the best chances to come out. Well, against. you know, things aren't going well in Miami. Like Miami are legit, and I'm not going to write them off. They've got every chance. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to say I'm not, I'm not writing no, them no, off. No, I'm just I'm concerned, but I, I, I'm yeah. not writing them off. And I'm just saying this to premise what I'm about to say. I think Miami are legit. I think they've got just as good a chance of making it to the conference finals as most of the teams we've discussed here, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee. Yeah. I think Miami are right there. I think they've got a better chance than Chicago. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? But you know that Miami are in this weird place now where they're not good enough to be contenders, but they're too good to to be also runs. Yeah. That I'm start I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm starting to see a lot of trade talk surrounding Miami where it's like, right, we're gonna consolidate Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, we're gonna throw in Omar Yurtz then, and we're gonna consolidate that and maybe even Kyle Lowry that's been in and away from mm-hmm. the like we're going to consolidate that into a veteran. You know, I've seen things in the last couple of days where they're like, hey, we're going to give you all of this. We're going to bring LeBron James back. I've seen it. Hey, we're going to give you all of this, and we're going to try and bring in – who else have I seen? Was it I've Brad Beal? Brad Beal, yeah. I saw yeah. it for Brad Beal. Like, you know, so Miami are in a position where they've got a bunch of high-level young guys that are, that project to be high-level role players for a long time. And if they really took, like Miami are all about, yo, we can rebuild, we can be competitive. Like we've seen them do it multiple times. So if they want to throw those guys into a deal and go and bring in a Brad Beal or a LeBron James, they can do it. If Jimmy Butler wants to get bounced, guess what? They've got enough pieces around you to package you and bring back someone better than you because that's how Miami consistently construct their teams. So, uh, I don't think my like I think Miami are legit, but I don't think they're going to be the team that hit that are facing Milwaukee in the finals. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm with, they will be. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I can't wait, man. I'm excited. This was a fun podcast, by the way. I had a, like the time flew by on this one, man. I had I had a not that I don't always have a great time with you, Adam, but I had a really enjoyable time on this, and the time just flew by. I think we've done a good job. And if you think we did a good job, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, make sure that you share this on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. If you're a web developer, develop a whole new social media, promote it there. I don't mind. But as I said at the top of the show, if you've made it this far, one, myself and Will are super grateful. Two, we're going to promote this. People expect us to do so. If you promote it as well, well, that shows us that one, you're enjoying the content we're doing and we know to keep doing more of this type of content. And two, most importantly, it shows everybody else that you're enjoying this show because if you're enjoying it and they have similar interests to you, i.e. the Celtics, then they think they're going to enjoy it and that's how we start to grow. We feel like we've kind of hit this ceiling now, this glass ceiling, we need to punch through it and we're asking for your help. Now, I do remember there's a, it, it's from Space Jam 1 where Bugs Bunny goes up to Michael Jordan and he's like, we need your help. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? That's, you know, that's what I'm asking. I'm doing the Bugs Bunny. You guys are... We're you Bugs. Guys are you guys are Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Until next time, which will be on Monday when I'm joined by my homie and Will's best friend, Mr. Greg Manakis. Have a good weekend, y'all. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do